welcome to the Grow Mark podcast. I'm Amy Bradford, and we are joined today with by Dr. Ryan Gottfriedson, um, mental success coach and leading leadership consultant, also a best-selling uh, author of Success Mindsets, and soon to be released, The Elevated Leader. I'm looking forward to that. So, um, Ryan, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be back with Growmark. Uh, I was with you a couple of years ago. I feel like it was pre-pandemic anyways, so maybe that was three years ago. Gee, time yeah. flies. Uh, yeah, I think it was pre-pandemic because I, I met you when it, in California at a National Council of Farmer Co-ops meeting. Yep, so, and right. then it started from there. So um, I want to talk a, a little bit about, um, you know, the idea of talent management and the importance organizations put on that. And I know at Growmark, we we do, you know, attracting, training, retaining that talent, and then developing them as leaders um, is really important to us um, just to make sure that we have talented people in the pipeline for the success of the Growmark system and and um, our member co-ops. Um, and I know that you have some new research um, that shows that there's some challenges with the leadership development model. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, it, it's kind of, I call it the the unknown or the the unspoken known problem about leadership development. Everybody knows it, but nobody likes to talk about it. And it's the fact that and the statistics that are out there is that 75% of organizations state that they think that their leadership development efforts aren't very effective. So 75% of organizations are saying we are investing in leadership development, but we're just, we don't feel like we're moving the needle on leadership development. And that is that is just so problematic because organizations spend so much money on doing it and not seeing much of a change can be really disheartening, particularly for employees down in the organizations that are almost saying, please, please, please help me help our leaders so that I can have a better work experience. Right. Um, so what does your research show that's missing in that model? Well, it's, this, and to me, this is, uh, you know, I'm biased, but I, I've become so fascinated by this because one of the things that we need to understand is that there's two different types of development. And we're, we're usually only aware and focus on one of these two types. So the type of development that we're aware of and primarily focus on is what's called horizontal development. Horizontal development is adding new knowledge and skills, right? This is most of our high school and our college classes. I take an accounting class. I gain knowledge about how and skill about how to balance a budget sheet. And that's great because what, what horizontal development does is it broadens our functionality. It's kind of like downloading an app onto an iPad. When we put, have a new app on the iPad, that iPad can now do more than what it could do previously. But, but here's the kicker is that while horizontal development is good, it has a severe limitation. Is, and if we use this iPad analogy, if we just put an app onto an iPad, does that improve how effectively the iPad operates as a whole? Can it operate mm -hmm. more quickly? Can it do anything that's any more complex than what it could do previously? Well, no, right? If we want that, if we want to upgrade the iPad or upgrade leaders and their internal operating system, that's where this new form of development comes in. It's called vertical development. So vertical development 
is all about upgrading leaders' internal operating system. Horizontal development is about adding new knowledge and skills. And my estimation is we, we spend at least 95% of our developmental time on horizontal development mm-hmm. and less than 5% of the time on vertical development. And I, I'm not saying we get away of horizontal development, but we need a much different ratio if we want to transformationally improve the leaders in our organizations. Yeah, definitely so. And um, over the past 25 years, maybe even over the past five, you know, there's been so much change in the way we think about leadership development. And a lot of it has to do with the science of um, of those processes. Talk a little bit about that, about the change that's happened and then how that's impacting what we're looking at today. Well, and again, my opinion, the change isn't coming soon enough, but let me let me ask you a question, Amy. I'll, I'll see what you have to say about this, but um, w- would you agree or disagree with this statement? Most, uh, if not all, current leadership development practices are rooted in concepts or ideas or research that came before 2005. Agree, very right. much so. So most of what we focus on in our development, leadership development efforts, are rooted in ideas, research concepts that came before 2005. The reason why this is significant is because research technological advances prevented us from researching the mind, literally the neurology of leadership. And those advances didn't start to take hold until about 2005. So, and I I forget the exact statistics. I I looked it up and it's in my new book, but it's um, since 2005, there has been more, well, really, even in the last five years, there's been more research published on neuroscience than all of time before that. Mm -hmm. So we've learned more about the mind in the last 15-ish years than everything else added up. And so what that means is that, and not that not that people, leadership, thought leaders pre-2005, not that they blatantly ignored the mind. They just didn't have the ability to add the mind into the models of leadership development because they didn't know enough about it. And now we know enough about the neurology of leadership that, that it should be a core facet of leadership development efforts. And it, and it just hasn't been that way. So, so when we talk about vertical development, that's what we start to get into is the neurology associated with leadership. Because let me give you some characteristics here, Amy, and you tell me whether or not you think that these can be improved by just knowledge and skills, or if it's something deeper than that. So, uh, and I'll just kind of rattle them off, but we've got characteristics like patience, humility, intellectual humility, psychological flexibility, um, empathy, vulnerability, emotionally intelligence, um, or emotional intelligence. Like, do you think these are things that we could learn by just gaining knowledge and skills, or is it something deeper than that? Um, it has to be something deeper. And yeah. um, it's interesting that you you put empathy into that because um, I was talking to someone not long ago, and I can't even remember 
what we were talking about, but there was a level of pain that we were not ex- between he and I, but talking about a level of pain. And he started to rattle something off and he said, you know what? I need to stop because I don't experience pain like other people do. I don't experience pain at all. And I can't put myself in their shoes. So it's not a knowledge thing. Yeah, It, it has yeah. to be more than that. Well, and even as you say that, what's really interesting, because my research has taken me to to look at the connection between trauma and leadership effectiveness. And and, and there is a connection. And here's the reason why. And, And trauma means a wide variety of things. To me, trauma is we experience at whatever point in our life, we experience stress that exceeds our body's current capacity to deal with that stress. Right? When we're feeling burned out at work, that's probably just evidence that we are experiencing more stress than our body can deal with. And that would be a form of trauma. So the more trauma that we experience in our lives, the more self-protective we become neurologically. And that, that makes sense, right? It, the more danger we've been in in the past, the more sensitive to danger we're going to be in the future. Correct. And and there's different dominoes that occur that when we experience trauma. But in this case of this person you're talking to where they say, I don't feel pain. That is evidence of significant trauma that has gone on in their background, because what happens, this is the first domino of trauma is our mind disconnects from our body. It's called dissociation and it we numb and it's a protection mechanism that protects it, protects us. But the thing is, is that these dominoes, they linger. They don't naturally heal by themselves. And so if we're, if we've got, and I think we've all got it. In fact, science suggests that 80% of us have experienced trauma to the degree that it has negatively affected our body's neurological system. And, and to me, this is, this is the most beautiful message about my new book that's coming out, which is simply if we want to elevate as a leader, if we want to upgrade our internal operating systems to be a more positive influence in the lives of others, we've got to heal ourselves. We've literally got to heal our body's neurological system so that we aren't so self-protective, so that we expand our window of tolerance and so that we can embrace greater complexity as opposed to get so defensive when that complexity shows up. Well, and inter-COVID pandemic, right? Correct. I I mean, among a variety of other things, right? So, I mean, you could have childhood trauma, you could have, you know, uh, organizational trauma early in your career, and all of these things add up together. Um, But you're right; it it takes that that healing process. Um, Is there? I mean, is there good that comes out of that trauma as well that can play into a leader's life? There can be, right? So one of the things is uh, that is necessary for vertical development is, is what we would classify as a heat experience. Now, a heat experience could be something that occurs to us, right? I would say, for example, one of my heat experiences in my professional career, it was I was fired from a job. Like, I just never thought I would ever be fired from a job, and I got fired, and it caused me to say, look, I've got to I've got to operate differently than what I have in the past, right? That that's that's a heat experience that occurred to me. 
We could also create our own heat experiences, such as I want to get better at this and I want to develop in this and I'm going to push myself in this regard and we could create that heat experience. Um, so heat experience is a necessary aspect of vertical development, but just experiencing a heat experience is not enough to vertically develop. Um, that, that we've got to use it for our benefit. The, the problem is, is a lot of times heat experiences actually cause us to want to self-protect even more. And, and so we don't utilize it in the way that we potentially could utilize it. I mean, even in my research on mindsets, you know, I think you'll find this interesting. Um, we looked at mindsets across different um, marriage statuses. So married, divorced, uh, never married, and widowed. One of the things that we found that was really unique is that people who are widowed are have a much more outward mindset on average than the other groups. In other words, they're they're more compassionate and empathetic. But we also found that they were more closed-minded and prevention-minded. Meaning they they were a little bit reluctant to take on new challenges or new ideas. They were more focused on playing it safe as opposed to reaching goals. Right. So I would I would think and I'm you know, I've had a parent who's lost a spouse um, is that losing a spouse is a huge trial for somebody. And it what we find is that it does have some benefits, but also has some negative implications um, mm -hmm. just naturally. Um, but I think we can harness any heat experience for our benefit if if we make it our intention to do so. Right. So you talk about those traumatic experiences. How how do people step beyond that? How do they start to heal to be able to vertically develop? Well, I, so there's several different approaches. Um, and I think the way that I think about it is there's two primary approaches. There's what I would call a top-down approach. Um, and that means that we're starting at the top of our brain, our, our cognitions, and we are cognitively diving into our emotions and into our body. And I'll give you an example of that here in just a minute. Um, the other approach would be a bottom-up approach where you start in the body and then you, you allow emotions to arise and then you become more aware of those. Um, and, and the approach that I take with the leaders that I work with is the top-down approach. Um, I, in some ways, the bottom-up approach is you usually need some sort of, you know, degree or, uh, professional uh, certificate, if you will. Um, but for me, the top-down approach is we cognitively try to awaken to the mindsets that we have and, and how we make meaning of our world, right? That's what our mindsets do, is our mindsets are the mental lenses that shape how we make meaning of our world. And, and I help leaders to become conscious of their current mindsets. I help them evaluate whether or not these are cognitively or emotionally sophisticated. And we kind of give a sense of what are the quality of our mindsets and how can we move the needle on those? How can we become more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated? And that usually means just focusing on and exercising the positive mindset neural connections in our mind. And we could create a framework to do that. So that's what we did a few years ago when I was working with, with Growmark is what are our current mindsets? Where are we at and where do we go? And what was remarkable is we we did the mindset assessment in May. We did the mindset assessment, I think, in September, so not even six months later. 
And we looked at the results from time one to time two, and they were significantly better in time two because just the awareness helps facilitate significant shifts in how we make meaning of the world. What we did is we created a heat experience for Growmark uh, collectively. Um, and that's something that we naturally or, or we intentionally created. Um, it wasn't something that happened to us. And then, then we got some benefit from that. So that's that's the top, that I would say that's the best top-down approach is to focus on our mindsets there. Does mm -hmm. that make sense or anything yeah. like that? Yeah, it does. Um, are there, I, I'm sure there are people out there who just don't even want to be aware of where they are. And it's like, oh, yeah, thanks, Ryan, but I'm not going to go there. Yep. So I, you know, I would say I do a lot of coaching calls with executives and I would say it's about 15% of executives. Um, in my coaching call, I'll, I'll do an exercise and at a point in this exercise, it becomes naturally for natural for me to ask, what is the fear that is going on here? Um, so it's not like that's coming out of the blue. It's, it, you know, I almost set them up pretty easily. And I would say for about 15% of executives, they say, I don't have any fears. I'm not driven by fear. <laughs> and uh, immediately I'm kind of left scratching my head. I was thinking, well, are you, do you not have fears? Or are you just not in touch with your fears? Because I happen to think everybody's got fears. Yep. But only some people are willing to step into those fears. Mm -hmm. right? And so for those people, and, and in, in all honesty, it's just an aspect of self-protection that's coming from something in their past. I don't know what it is. Um, but it's just kind of, it makes them a, a tougher nut to crack. Right. And and these are the types of people where the top down approach probably isn't enough. I think what I find is the top down approach works for most people. They can make pretty significant shifts. But for some of these people who have probably more of a trauma history is you really need the bottom up approach. And that's that's where I start to point people to therapists uh, that specialize in different bottom up therapy approaches. Uh, these are approaches like EMDR. Uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Uh, there's another therapy modality called internal family systems therapy. Mm -hmm. And this is where you have trained psychologists um, that help you to connect with your body and then allow emotions to rise and then become more conscious and, and, and reestablish this connection between mind and body. Mm -hmm. So, and, and just to bring this to life a little bit, um, so I first learned about these therapy modalities about two years ago. And at the time, I didn't think that I had any trauma in my background. But I was like, these sound pretty cool. I want to just kind of try them out. And so I engaged with the trauma therapist. And we very quickly realized I had some trauma in my background. So I was fortunately never abused um, social, you know, physically or sexually or, or, or emotionally. but what I learned was I was neglected, particularly emotionally neglected. And, and as I awaken to that, I can now see how the fingerprints of that play out and have played out in all aspects of my life. Mm -hmm. And so over the last two years, I've been working with a trauma therapist and doing some of these therapy modalities to, to heal from that. And I, honestly, I feel like I've grown more in the last year and a half than the last, 15 years prior to that. 
-hmm. And I felt like I had developed a lot during those 15 years. It's just been a really profound experience. And, and there's just some people like myself who, who need that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And who get really curious about that, like you did and, and lean into that. And I know that um, when you worked with Growmark a few years ago, you recommended um, the book, the, the body keeps the score. Yeah. And um, I mean, I've, I've read that more than once. It with It's a hard book to get into and, and, retain because I think you have to read it more than once to get it all. Yes. But I mean that yep. that's that's his whole premise is that yep. things that happen to you play out throughout your life and unless and until you address those, it's still going to play out. Yep. Well here's something here's something cool, Amy, that that I just saw the other day is that the body keeps the score is the number one nonfiction book on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, lately, which I think is really cool. To your point, I, I do think the author did a great job writing it. I do think it's approachable, but it is, it's just, it's heavy. It's dense, right? Mm -hmm. it's, to me, it's like gold nugget after gold nugget. Um, I, I would say, so for people who are listening, if they want to dive into this, of course, I, I wouldn't steer anybody away from that book, but there's another book that I feel is a little bit more approachable, at least for a kind of a first timer into the trauma background. And that book is What Happened to You, written by Bruce Johnson and Oprah Winfrey. Yep. Uh, to me, that's a really good kind of starter book. Yeah, I would I would agree. Um, and the, what I liked about that was that it pointed to issues at all ages, you know, that, that it, they weren't just focused on childhood, that there are things that happen to people as adults that can scar them and impact the rest of their life. And um, yeah, I, that is more approachable than the body keeps the score, but um, yeah. yeah, lots of good stuff coming out of both of those. Um, well, let's it's, go ahead. If you don't mind, just, I just think it's even powerful for leaders to understand this. I mean, the whole premise of that book is what happened to you is, is if somebody's doing something that we don't agree with, it's probably not best to ask what's wrong with you. It's better to ask what's happened to you. Mm -hmm. And, and I think if leaders can take that approach, they're going to be a much more effective leader. And if they've got an employee who's slacking rather than what's wrong with you, it's what's happened to you, mm -hmm. right? Because that invites us to step closer to them and to be more supportive. And that, you know, that's the type of leadership that we need, particularly given all the change that organizations are going through these days is, yeah. is we need a greater emphasis on relationship building in organizations and just dialing back the task facilitation aspect of things. Not mm -hmm. that we could ever get rid of that. Not, we, not that we, we have to do the task facilitation, but what I'm finding in organizations is particularly executives is they are pushing really hard on the task facilitation. They want to hit the outcomes. And that relationship building piece just isn't playing as significant of a role as it needs to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with you there. And uh, coming out of the pandemic, you know, especially trying to, um, I guess, reintroduce yourself to your teammates. I, I'm, I, I feel pretty fortunate our team had, we really feel like we're, better connected even now than, than we right. were before. Cause we were going all over the place, you know, and, um, it's been helpful to us, but I know that there's a lot of other teams that don't feel that way. And, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, making sure that you have enough time and space to listen to your um, teammates and help them through some of those things is is really important, um, in my opinion. And, you know, really the first question that people ask when you're having a performance issue is what's wrong with you kind of thing. But yep. if we take, but like you said, if we take a step back and just dig a little deeper and say, okay, so what's happened? What's, what's going on here? Yeah. You know, yeah. to see if we can figure this out. So um, those are good points to make. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the connection between those three levels of um, mental development and for leaders that mind 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0, and then the mindsets um, research that you've done. Um, t- t- just talk a little bit about that, the connection and then the yeah. outcomes that you've seen. Yeah, let me let me introduce what you're talking about these these three mind levels. So what the the ideas of uh, vertical development stem from the field of developmental psychology, right? We we know that children develop naturally as they age, and they go through different developmental stages. Like we we know that we see it in front of our eyes. Well, in the 1960s, developmental psychologists started to ask the question: Do adults develop? And if so. Do they go through different developmental stages? And what they found is that yes, adults can develop. Yes, they're different adult development stages, but not all adults do develop. And what they've identified is adults have, there's three adult development stages. I call them mind 1.0, mind 2.0, and mind 3.0, because at each stage, our body is programmed to fulfill specific needs. Our internal operating system is programmed to fulfill certain needs. So just to kind of go over those at a high level, um, mind 1.0 is what I call good soldier mode. We are, our needs are programmed to, to, for us to be safe, to be comfortable, and to feel like we belong. So we, we kind of like step into an organization. We say, I don't want to be a leader here. You just tell me what to do, and I will do it, provided you keep me safe, comfortable, and feeling like I belong. This is where, and what research has found is 64% of adults operate at this level. Mind 2.0 is what I call progress maker mode. And this is where our needs now radically shift. Our needs are for for standing out, advancing, and getting ahead. In fact, we're willing to be unsafe, uncomfortable, and not belong in order to stand out, advance, and get ahead. So 35% of people operate here, and 85% of executives operate here. We get to a place where we're more independent thinkers and we are more inclined to take charge because we want to make progress in a certain way. We don't care about safety, comfort, and belonging. We just want to make progress so that we can stand out, advance, and get ahead. So that's mind 2.0. Mind 3.0 is what I call value creator mode. When we're here, our needs are to contribute, add value, and lift others. So we no longer want to stand in like in mind 1.0, and we don't want to stand out like in mind 2.0. We just want to add value. We want to contribute, and that's what our focus is. So when we're below that mind 3.0 level, we're focused on ourselves, standing in or standing out. In that mind 3.0 level, we're now focused on something bigger than ourselves. So those are the three levels, and I do want to connect it back to the mindset stuff, Amy, but but I don't know. Any any comments on those levels before we make that connection? Well, I 
I would say that I think we all want or we should all want to be operating at 3.0 in a successful yeah. organization. That's where we want to yeah. get to. And so one of the things that I love about this framework is understanding this is it gets us to ask and answer a question that I think very few people ever ask. And that is, what is my vertical altitude? Right. This now prevents a, provides a framework in which we can do that. But I don't think it's the only question we can ask because I don't know about you, Amy, but I kind of see all three of those mind levels within myself. Mm -hmm. And so another question to ask that I think is equally powerful, if not more power, is what is my center of gravity? What percentage of my time am I spending in each of these different mind levels? And then naturally, the next question becomes, how do I move the needle so I spend a greater percentage of my time in mind 3.0? And, and what I find is, you know, so what we know is 64% of all adults primarily spend the majority of their time in mind 1.0. 35% of adults primarily spend uh, the majority of their time in mind 2.0, and only 1% of adults primarily spend the majority of their time in mind 3.0. And at each of these different levels, what we're doing is when we level go from one level to another, that's vertical development. And in the process of doing so, what we're doing is we're improving our ability to make meaning of our world with greater cognitive and emotional sophistication, right? That's going from low emotional intelligence to high emotional intelligence. Uh, that's part of this process. And so connecting this back to mindsets is there are some mindsets, if we take like fixed in growth or closed and open, prevention, promotion, inward or outward, is the more negative mindsets, the fixed, closed, prevention, and inward. I, negative is just a really easy label. What I would say is they're just less cognitively and emotionally sophisticated. Mm -hmm. When we look at the positive mindsets, growth, open, promotion, and outward, those are more cognitively and emotionally sophisticated. So for example, if we take just fixed and growth, people with a fixed mindset, they're, they're driven to want to look good so that they could either fit in or stand out. Correct. People with a growth mindset, they have a desire to learn and grow. And in order to get there, we have got to be okay with looking bad at times because mm -hmm. we learn and grow the most from the times we don't look good. And it just takes vertical development to get there. That's more cognitively and mostly sophisticated. We're just, we create space within our bodies for looking bad at times. And it's not easy to do it in the moment, but it's actually what's be most beneficial for us in the long term. And that just speaks to cognitive and emotional sophistication. Does that make sense? It does. And so is that similar to what, you know, we've said in, in Growmark before is like fail fast and learn from it. So something similar to that, looking back and being able to look bad not make a goal or something is a way that you really do progress and move forward. Yeah. And there's a great clip, uh, and maybe I'll have to share it with you, Amy, uh, of Simon Sinek. He's got this short little YouTube video, um, and he talks about how we need to stop saying fail fast. Just because fail have such a, it does have a negative connotation to it. He's like, you know, he just says, why don't we just say fall? We fell. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like when we're learning to ride a bike, we're going to fall. That doesn't mean we failed. We just fell. Let's get up and, and let's move forward. 
And and I think that that's um, anyways, I've I've enjoyed that perspective from Simon. Mm-hmm. Uh, not yeah. that inherently wrong with fail fast, because I understand the ideas behind it. But but what if we just talked about it in terms of falling? Would that mm-hmm. create greater space for a growth mindset? Yeah. There, yeah, there's just so many um, connections here, in, in my opinion, to um, those ways that we can uncover the things that are keeping us stuck and um, then address those. Um, I, I know that there, there's a lot of people who would like for you to say, or when I ask this question, okay, so what what hard and fast activities can I do to jump into this and D- develop vertically like quick, you know, is, is there, yeah, g- give me a checklist kind of thing. Yeah. Well, when we want checklists, I mean, it, it's well-intended, but that now starts to turn it into horizontal development a little mm-hmm. bit, which is right. okay. Um, I think it, it's just important to recognize that vertical development is a lifelong journey. I don't think anybody's ever going to be done uh, vertically developing. Um, but the first step is always awareness. And and here's what I've learned on my own personal vertical development journey and helping with others is the deeper we go inward, the higher we could go in terms of our vertical altitude. And so that's where I've I've tried to create books and tools and resources to help people deepen their self-awareness. And I've got my mindset assessment. I've now got a new vertical development assessment. Now we're putting labels on things we just haven't had labels for before so that we could then focus on them. So awareness is always the first step. Um, and and it's some people are more willing to step into that than others, and that's a self-protection thing. Uh, but the more willing we are to do that, then that's when the magic happens. That's really where, how we start the healing process for our body's internal operating system so that we can become more of the people that we want to become. It's really fascinating. Um, when I work with executives, um, I'll, you know, I spend time with them and then usually there's a break and I'll try to come back and re-engage with them at some point in time. And I'll oftentimes ask them, well, what, what resonates with you from what we did, you know, however long it was? And far and away, their, their first answer is usually, it's changed my life with my family. Hmm. And I and I always find that interesting. And I, I also love the answer. And what I learned is that when the first place that we try to kind of practice vertical development is with our family. It's kind of like our test kitchen. It's harder to do that at work. I mean, it's there's just more pressure there, right? But but a lot of people say essentially like it's changed my life with my family. And I and what they're doing is is that's where they're starting their their healing process, and I think that's going to carry over into their work life. Um, but to me, that feels really significant, uh, mm-hmm. and and that's how it feels. I feel like to them when they say, "There's a guy I talked to just the other day, and he said, you know what? Because I did a workshop with him a month ago, and I just reengaged with this this executive team, and one of these executives said, and he says, you know what? I've got two stepdaughters." that are in college. And honestly, I'd never really have created a lot of space for them. I don't ask them a lot of questions. Over the last month, I've been intentional about sitting down with them and just asking them questions. 
How are things going? And he said, it was such a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, I've all the kudos in the world for him. But that's, that's to me, that's awesome to, to hear those types of types of things. And hopefully he'll stick with it. Well, and that's huge because hopefully he'll take that into the workplace and sit down and talk with people and ask questions because I think that's super, super important um, there. Um, So you have this new book coming out soon, The Elevated Leader, and I see it back there on your, on your, your bookshelf back um, coming out in October, correct? October 11th. Yep. I feel like I'm about ready to birth a new child here. Yeah, I bet. But I'm sure much less painful than actually birthing a child, but I can't speak from experience. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, So when, first of all, I know that people can pre-order on Amazon and, and other places, but what should they, what should people expect from the book? Well, there's a couple of really cool aspects about this book that that we, uh, one of them is we incorporated with the book Success Mindsets, but there is a vertical development assessment that comes with the book. But the first half of the book is what is vertical development? What are these three different uh, vertical development levels? And then why do we need to focus on this? So that's the first half. The second half of the book is all about how do we level up? And, And we've gotten into the basics here, but there's a lot of richness there. But also with this book, um, I partnered with a company called QStream, and um, they're a, they produce a micro learning tool that's designed to do a couple of things in, in the light of this book. One is retain the information that, that you cover in the book. So I read a lot of books. It's hard for me to retain information from some of them. So they've got a tool to help us retain information, but also to exercise our positive mindset neural connections, to actually start to facilitate some of the healing within ourselves and to do the deeper dive self-awareness activities. So so QStream is giving away what we're calling a a digital vertical development coach. And it's something that that anybody who purchased the book can engage with this coach um, and they'll engage with them for about two to three months um, on answering questions about every other day during that time. It shouldn't take more than five or 10 minutes, um, but what we're doing is we're helping facilitating the rewiring of our internal operating system through the use of this micro learning tool. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about that. I bet. Um, Do you expect that, I mean, this um, line of research and the, the, leader, the vertical development, those things are going to be making their way into the training of college students and, you know, graduate students and things like that. I mean, obviously you as a a professor are probably using that in in your classes, but I mean, it it will catch on in other areas as well. Yeah, my my sense, and I'm biased, I, I think that this is the wave of the future. I feel like we've already, we're already feeling the wave starting to crest. Um, I hear, I've heard terms like the mindfulness revolution, um, right? And and I think because part of what's going on in our world is our world is, I mean, empirically growing more polarized. But what we're also seeing, we're seeing people pop up in the middle of this that are just more mindful, more conscious, more intentional. And, and those are the people that are these more vertically developed leaders and people. And, and so I do think that this is the wave of the future. I think we're, um, 
we're just early in it still, but it's it's catching on. And I think we will start to see more significant shifts that we're going to spend a little less time on horizontal development and a little more time on vertical development. Because in my opinion and from my experience, horizontal development can only be incrementally helpful. Vertical development has the potential to be transformationally helpful. And, and, and I think uh, the more people just learn about vertical development, we'll naturally see a shift in, in that ratio between horizontal and vertical. Well, and the, it's interesting that you say that, that, um, you know, the whole transformational process. Um, I read, and you probably have may have read this as well, um, Harvard Business Review had a book it's called On Leadership. And there was an essay in there by a CEO who only had a, a high school diploma. Hmm. And what she was talking about was the things that you can do that you don't need a degree for. You know, it not everything comes from a degree. And if you have the right training, hook up with the right people, um, you know, read the right books and and from there and really work on yourself, you can go yep. a long, long way. And, yeah. and I agree with that. And that's kind of the premise here is that it takes a lot of self-work. That's not going to be easy. I can tell you that just from the, own, the you know, my internal work that I've done. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's hard and it takes a long time. Um, and yeah. I don't know that everybody is ever fully developed either <laughs> um, because there's always yep. something, always something to learn, always a new, you know, way to interact with your team and others in the organization. You have new people coming in, um, or maybe you have a change in the in, you know, your top leadership, and you have to adjust yeah. and and learn about that as well. So um, I'm really looking forward to the book. And um, how do you how do you think? Um, well, how do you get it into organizations? Yeah, well. Buy it, of course, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, is the best, and share it, talk about it. Like, um, and, and one of the things that I've tried to do with this book launch is uh, create some videos that are really easy to share. It's not always easy to share a book, but what if we could share a video? So um, on my YouTube page, I just, um, in fact, I'm releasing it this coming week as, as we're talking about this, is a whiteboard, whiteboard video just walking through the basics of vertical development, what it is, why it's important, and what are these mind levels. So it's only about a six-minute video that I think uh, would be really easy to share. I, I also had a TED Talk that was just released where I talk about these similar principles, of course, a little bit more in a story format. Um, but even then, that's only a six-minute video, uh, which I think is really easy to share. So that's mm -hmm. find that TED Talk on YouTube or yep. TED.com. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's either location. So I think that I would like to think that those are really easy ways to kind of introduce this. Um, mm -hmm. And then to me, the book is just, it just takes a greater investment for sure. Right. Um, but I, I tend to want to hold something in my hands, you know, yep. and, and yep. then make, notes in it and things like that. I have a hard time with, even though I have a wide library on my Kindle um, app, it's still really hard for me to to really consume that. But um, I, I'm looking forward to uh, your TED Talk, and then I'll look up that other video on YouTube as well. What else would you like um, our listeners to consider as they think about vertical development um, in their own lives? 
A couple of things. One is, and this is part of my own vertical development journey. Here's what I'm learning is vertically developed people have a very unique capacity to create space. They create space for their emotions. They create space for others. They create space for problems. They create space for mistakes. Um, and to me, that's that's really that's really powerful. And so I, I think part of this is we've got to create space for discussions around these types of ideas. And it's just really hard for leaders and executives to do that because oftentimes they're these progress makers. They want to they want to go go go. They want to get the outcomes, and we can't create space for this stuff. But we've got it. We've got to be intentional about creating space. Another way to think about this is if you're a leader, a manager thinking about this is we, one of the things that we talked about is the role that self-protection plays in holding us back from vertically developing. And if we recognize that as a leader, what it should inspire us to do is how do we create a context and an ecosystem where people don't feel like they have to self-protect? In other words, how do we create greater psychological safety? And so if we could, as a leader or manager, be more intentional about the context and the ecosystem that we're creating and make it more psychologically safe, what we will do is we will be um, essentially paving the road for our employees to vertically develop. We're going to make it easier for them to do so. So Hopefully that's a nugget for the leaders and, and managers that are listening to be more conscious and intentional about creating that space. Yeah, I really like the idea of creating space, but, but as you said, it's really difficult to do it because we're we're always like in a hurry to get things done. And uh, oh, I, I don't have time for that. We'll deal with that later kind of thing. But creating space in the moment will be really helpful, I believe. So, mm -hmm. well, Ryan, thank you for giving us a little bit of insight uh, to the Elevated Leader. Um, I'm hopeful that all of our listeners will go out and buy your book and really do consider how they can implement your uh, recommendations, your research, and vertically develop themselves. So thanks again, and we will look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, it's an honor. Thank you, Amy. You're welcome. Thank you.